This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. As many of you may know, January is named after Janus, a Roman god with two faces, one facing the past and one facing the future. And contemplating what I was going to say, I was reminded of Janus and then the way my mind works. I uh, was reminded of two concepts um, which are termed guardians, two guardians in Buddhist practice. And kind of ringing the changes on one god with two faces, these are two guardians with one job. And the Pali language is the textual language of the earliest texts we have in Buddhism. It's, it's very similar to Sanskrit. I'm told it's harder. And the words in Pali are hiri, H-I-R-I, and otappa, O-T-T-A-P-P-A. And in trying to explain these recently to a friend, um, I was groping for words, and I said, they're kind of like bumpers on a bumper car ride. You know, they're, they're, they, they guard us from going too far astray. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Hiri and Otapa. I'm going to talk about the context in the texts and Buddhist practice for these terms. I'm going to talk a little bit about how we can implement them in our lives, and then there's time for audience participation. Ha! Then you guys get to do the work. So I'm really not all that happy with the traditional translations of these terms, so I'd rather leave them essentially untranslated, but to give you, to, to sort of triangulate on the sense of the words, hiri is more inward directed. It's concerned with self-respect, conscience, integrity, and is characterized by disgust with evil. This word disgust can make coastal Californians cringe. Um, the way I had it explained to me uh, by Andy Olensky was the, the term disgust or revulsion from the Pali is nibbida. And he explained it, if there's a dog that's starving and really hungry and finds a bone that has been lying out in the sun and is completely bleached, there's no flesh on it, no marrow, nothing of nourishment, the dog may pick up the bone and gnaw on it for a while, but there's nothing there. So he's just going to spit it out in disgust. Not a big deal. It's just, there's nothing here for me. So it's, it's not quite the, the flavor that the word disgust in English has for me. It's just, puh, nothing. So evil isn't disgusting in the way we, the way I hear that word. It's just any evil or unwholesome state or act has nothing for us. 
no pull, no attachment. And Olensky describes Hiri as saying it refers to that within the human psyche which knows the difference between right and wrong, between what is noble and ignoble, between what is worthy of respect and what is not. So it's our inner, personal, private, moral compass. And you're all aware of it, and you know when you transgress against that. And you can, it can be a big deal, it can be a little deal, but it's that whoops, that uh-oh, that just goes off inside our minds and hearts. Otapa is more outward-directed. It's more concerned with the opinion of others uh, involving a shrinking back from evil or wrongdoing. And it's characterized by a dread of evil. And Olensky says of this one, Otapa comprises such notions as social conscience, a cultural or collective sense of morality, and respect for the opinions and rights of others. As I was mulling this talk, I was driving around and uh, listening to NPR, and they were interviewing Jill Geisler, uh, author of a work entitled Work Happy, nonfiction. And she recounted a, a story of a boss trying to talk about how the boss employee relationship might work better. And if a boss gives an employee specific supportive feedback, like the example she gave, say your boss comes to you and says, you are my go-to person for customer relations. Whenever a problem arises and you handle it, it's good. Wouldn't you really try not to let your boss down So I have the sense that this otapa, for me, is not wanting to let somebody down, uh, an esteemed other, Shaila, my second grade teacher, you know, my partner, um, someone outside myself whose approval feels good and whose disappointment in me or disappointment in my actions is a weight on my heart. Okay, so hiri is more my inner compass. Otapa is more a sense of others and how I fit in with others. So on this day of transition, I want to invoke both Janus and the twin guardians and see if we can find a way to use these guardians as a lens for looking at our behavior, our thoughts, our actions, both tonight in a practice session and throughout the year for our our daily practice. I'm a real word-oriented guy, as some of you know, and um, casting about for the context turning to the texts. I noticed that these these guardians are either explicitly or implicitly involved in some very important Buddhist lists. Many of you already know that Buddhism has lots of lists, and for those of you who don't, it does. 
And many of the best ones are on our website. Um, so the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, the sixth factor is right effort. And it seemed to me in contemplating right effort that Hiri and Otapa are implicitly required in order to avoid and abandon unwholesome states and to cultivate and maintain wholesome states. So right effort really needs the application of Hiri and Otapa in order to effectively pursue that step, that factor in the path. Also, the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, the third element, uh, the, the third foundation is the contemplation of mind. And Hiri and Otapa, again, are implicitly required in order to determine the presence or absence of the three poisons, lust, anger, or delusion. So in order to tell whether they are operating in our behavior, we have to turn to these investigative guardian tools. And the seven factors of enlightenment, the second factor is investigation of states. And that says it right there. Hiri and Otapa are about investigating our mind states. And in the... Um, uh, the nouns go first. Um, the the text for uh, establishing the the guidelines for the monks and the nuns, um, they are expected to and required to investigate and examine their past behavior. So here we have Janus as well as Hiriyanotapa, um, the content of their minds, and by extension, we as lay practitioners are expected to step up to the plate and so far as we can model our behavior on the uh, what is being asked of the monks and the nuns. And finally, uh, especially here in coastal California where I've been studying Vipassana, a lot of times it will be taught, one of the teaching tools is the acronym RAIN. Some of you may have heard about or been taught RAIN. Um, so when a mind state arises, you recognize that the mind state has arisen, R, for recognize. A, you accept that it has arisen, so you allow it. And the I is investigate. You investigate it. And this is a little tricky. We're going to talk about this and we're going to practice it a bit. So in meditation, meditation isn't really about thinking about but you can go into a mind state that has arisen in a more direct way, again, using the tools of Hiri and Otapa as, as one possibility. The N of RAIN is not identify. It is not you. It is a mind state that has arisen in awareness. So there's a lot of context for this, but I think mostly, as far as I could find, and I'm not a scholar, um, that it, it seems more implicit than explicit, but that the guardians, the bumpers, are there to help us on the bumper car ride of life. So how are we supposed to do this? What do we do? Lists are great, but how do you put it into practice? Buddhist practice 
in Pali is a term bhavana, which means cultivation. And as far as I've learned, I, I don't think the Buddha ever really taught meditation. He taught bhavana, cultivation, cultivation of the mind, cultivation of wholesome states. So analayo, enough said, um, has written a really powerful book on Satipatthana, subtitled The Direct Path to Realization. The Satipatthana Sutta is the foundation, the four foundations of mindfulness sutta. And the part that applies to our topic this evening is in the investigation of mind, the third foundation. And he calls it or translates the, the technique that I think has the most juice for us tonight, non-reactive awareness of one's state of mind. And I think I want you to stay with that idea of non-reactive awareness. And his prose is a little dense, but he says it so much more concisely and precisely than I could, so I'm just going to read it to you. Excuse me. It is noteworthy that contemplation of the mind does not involve active measures to oppose unwholesome states of mind, such as lust or anger. Rather, the task of mindfulness is to remain receptively aware by clearly recognizing the state of mind that underlies a particular train of thoughts or reactions. Such uninvolved receptivity is required because of one's instinctive tendency to ignore whatever contradicts or threatens one's sense of importance and personal integrity. The habit of employing self-deception to maintain one's self-esteem has often become so ingrained that the first step to developing accurate self-awareness is honest acknowledgement of the existence of hidden emotions, motives, and tendencies in the mind without immediately suppressing them. Maintaining non-reactive awareness in this way counters the impulse towards either reaction or suppression contained in unwholesome states of mind and thereby deactivates their emotional and attentional pull. So this is, this slides right into Nibbida. This allows us to find unwholesome states. They have nothing for us. The pull is short-circuited, is undone. He goes on to say in another part in the book, that watching an unwholesome state in this way deprives it of its fuel so that it gradually loses its power. And one of the translations of Nibbana is going out, like a flame goes out when there is no more fuel for it to burn. So this is a very powerful concept. It allows us to get in there and work directly with the mind so that it releases its grasp on that which fuels our suffering. Neat, huh? I think it's also important to remember that all of this bhavana, all of this mindfulness that we're cultivating, 
is in the service of liberating insight. And liberating insight is just that aha experience when you realize that you're not suffering. You're in a state of mind, a state of being, where you are not suffering. And they happen, they pop up all the time. Right? You don't have to wait for the big N. You know, the little ends all the time. They're little tastes of Nibbana. And this non-reactive awareness can help us catch them as they zip by. So, investigation of wholesome states and recollecting wholesome thoughts, uh, this again is still the, the context in, from the texts. The Sangyutta Nikaya tells a story of a lazy monk who was obsessed by unwholesome thoughts. And a deva, an angel-like creature, comes and reminds him to recollect the teacher, the teachings, and the community, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and his own virtue. Because doing so will cause joy to arise and lead one from suffering towards liberation. So here we've got Hiti and Otapa, which are usually communicated in the text as well as in teachings that I've heard about them in kind of a negative, you know, ick, shrinking from evil. But here we're using the lens of Hiti and Otapa to turn on contemplating our own virtue, the things that we have done that are good. We have to know virtue as well as unwholesome states, darkness and light. They can't exist without the other. And I really want to stress that point. Sometimes even mindfulness, it seems to me, is taught with a slight negative bias that um, we're told to bring the attention back to the breath. So anytime we sense that the attention has wandered, it's uh, Shaila has a lovely thing in, in um, her first book. Her approach to the wandering mind at the beginning was like... Um, the character from the Flintstones, Bam Bam, you know, and the, the naughty mind has wandered up, Bam, you know, back on the breath. And it's, it's an easy trap to fall into. You know, we, we have these judgments. We've just incorporated a tendency to be harsh on ourselves. And that's not what it's about. So um, I really want to encourage you, when you notice the mind has wandered, don't do the Bam Bam. You know, notice that moment of mindfulness and sit with that and then allow the attention to go back to the breath. So as we're trying to engage this non-reactive awareness that Analayo is talking about, the investigation involves paying attention to what's happening in the body. Are there sensations that arise as we investigate what is arising? Are there mental changes, uh, a sense? For me, the word that comes to mind is texture. Is, does it feel tighter or clenched, or is it smooth and flowing? Is it turbulent? What's the quality of the mind when these uh, impressions come up? Um, 
can you touch into any of these underlying habits that are the driving force for these tendencies? Um, and on the positive side, can you touch into your virtue? Can you recall a time when you did something that resonates with your goals for yourself? That really was something that was, yes, I, I've been striving to do that and I did it. Right? Contemplate your own virtue. So without a question and answer period yet, I would like to move on to the audience participation part of the program. And I'm going to tell you about it first, and then I'm going to walk us through it step by step. So I'd like you to work in pairs, and ideally with someone that you do not know really well, preferably not someone that you came with, so that it's there's not that, that baggage. All right? Um, we're going to use the lenses of Hiri and Otapa. We're first going to look at unwholesome actions and then apply the technique to wholesome acts. So first I'm going to ask you to get in pairs, and the first thing I want you to do is decide who's going to go first. And the way this is, the way I've structured it, the first speaker will work with Hiri, the internal one, and an unwholesome act. The second speaker will wor- work with Otapa, and an unwholesome act. And each time, you're going to think about it, and then you're going to share with the other person. The other person is just going to listen receptively, no feedback, no conversation, and then I'll I'll say we're going to move on, and then the second speaker, and then that speaker goes on to work with Hiri and a wholesome act, and the first speaker works with Otapa and a wholesome act. So each time there will be a contemplation, minute, minute and a half, we're just going to click right through this, and then a sharing, and then the contemplation again. And if you're the listener, you can also do the contemplating. But when you're the listener, you don't do any talking at all. You just receive and acknowledge and support the person. So first, partners. Is that okay, Misa? Domo. Okay. Decide who's going to talk first. Between yourselves. All right. Yes, these are the directions. You don't have to start talking yet. I haven't told you what to do. Okay. So um, I would like you in the best mindful, receptive state to, uh, I'll give you about a minute and a half to contemplate your inner reaction to something that you did that you're not proud of. Doesn't have to, it's probably best if it's not a big thing. Like maybe, you fell short of a goal for yourself. You didn't, you, you had intended to meditate five days a week this week and you only did two. Or, you know, you intended to work out however many times you intended and, and you didn't make it, right? So you had an intention for yourself to do something wholesome and you fell short of that goal. Then you don't, te- Tell the other person what the act 
was that you feel embarrassed by or you feel like you let yourself down. I want you to share the feelings that come up, any body sensations, any mental, emotional stuff that's going on. So when I ring the bell the second time, you will start sharing. The other person will simply listen. Then I'll ring the bell after another minute and a half, and then I'll give you the instructions for the next one. Okay? Good enough? Okay. 90 seconds. Just contemplate. Summon it to mind. Remember. Not talking yet. Remembering. Okay, 60 seconds. Speaker one, share what came up for you, body sensations, mental sensations. Draw to a close. Okay. Now, the person who was listening this time will speak next time. And this is going to be otapa, the outward turning one. Imagine that you did something, recall something that you did that gave rise to disappointment or disapproval from someone that you really respect that you would strive for their approval or their compliments. So maybe you simply forgot to return a call to this person who means a lot to you and they were counting on you. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It's best if it's not a big one. But something where you feel you let someone important to you down. And again, you don't have to say what it is, but share how that feels, what does it feel like in the body, in the mind, okay? Just a minute, seems like that worked real well, 60 seconds. Think. Think for 60 seconds, then talk. Okay, now speaker number two, share sensations. (laughs) Got carried away. Okay, we're familiar with the drill. How about a little bit shorter time for thinking about it? Would that be okay? All right. So now the person who just spoke is going to speak again, and we're going to be investigating a wholesome thought or action with the lens of hiri, our own inner moral compass. So say you met a goal that you had set for yourself. Say getting 10,000 steps on your pedometer every day this week. Something, you know, that that is something that a goal that you set for yourself doesn't have to be, you know, achieving nirvana, but 
that, that you feel good about, that your inner moral compass resonates and gives you a feeling of yes. Okay? The same speaker. So each person has a chance to work with Hiri and with Otapa. So this, you've just worked with Otapa, now you're gonna work with Hiri. You worked with an unwholesome state last time, you're working with a wholesome state this time. Okay, 30 seconds. Think first, then I'm gonna ring the bell and then you talk. Talk. Now you have a hang of it. Okay, so the person who spoke first uh, work with otapa and a wholesome action. Remember something that you did that gave rise to approval or compliments from someone who's important to you, someone whose approval means a lot to you. Uh, maybe you postponed a massage appointment in order to take uh, an older friend to a doctor's appointment or something. So you did something that you can sense is part of the outward moral compass, but also is located in a specific person, that the person was grateful to you or thanked you or gave approval for something that you did for someone else. Okay? Think first, then talk. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.